Good morning. It's so good to be with you today. The sermon I'll be preaching today is an old one, almost 2,000 years old, actually. It's from the Epistle to Hebrews. The Epistle to the Hebrews was actually a word of exhortation, a, a, a sermon in itself, the whole letter. And I'll be looking at, uh, we'll together be looking at chapter 3, verse 7 to chapter 4, verse 11, which itself is a sermon on Psalm 95. So for you Bible nerds out there, there's a, this is an amazing passage because it comes from a New Testament author who's reflecting on Psalm 95, who himself, David, is reflecting on Numbers 14 and Exodus 17 from Exodus, which we've been studying. And it actually refers back to Genesis 2. So if you think about the context in which these scriptures were written, there's five different contexts in that passage. So beyond our own context today in Memphis, there'll be five others we'll be looking at. So why did the author of Hebrews preach a thousand-year-old sermon? And I'd like to say it's because some things never change. People were facing social pressure, even life-threatening pressure, life-threatening persecution because of their faith. They were tempted to shrink back and blend in with their own culture. We've been facing many things as a people. However you've been affected, there has been pressure to shrink back from boldly following and trusting Christ. Both internal pressure that we feel ourselves and external pressure from our own culture. So let's see what we can learn from this 2,000-year-old sermon. I'll read Hebrews chapter 3, verse 7 through chapter 4, verse 11. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their hearts. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For we who were those, for we are those who not who heard and yet rebelled. Was it not all those who left Egypt and led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for forty years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? See, so we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us, just as to them. But the message they heard did not benefit them, because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest, as he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world." For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way. 
and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news fail to enter it because of disobedience, again, he appoints a certain day today, saying through David so long afterward in the words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Brothers and sisters, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we need a word of encouragement today. We pray that you, by your Holy Spirit, through your written word, would give us that word of encouragement. And we pray that you give us words of encouragement to share with others today and every day. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Who needs encouragement today? Let me just read you a few letters or one is a transcript of a phone call that I received just in the past couple of weeks from our ministry partners abroad. Paul, writing from central China, writes, sometimes we feel like we have been on an isolated island since December 9th, 2018, as he faces 24-7 surveillance from the police, constant threats to be arrested, and his colleague is in jail. He needs encouragement. Another pastor in Central Asia writes, it's the fifth night in a row that I can't sleep. I don't know what to do. Maybe I need to set an appointment with a doctor. The whole situation crushed me. For the last two months, I've been reevaluating everything I know about the church. Divisions and difficulties in his body of churches have laid heavy burdens on this pastor. And one of our mission partners whose wife is national, two different passports, writes the fo- told me the following over the phone. The government has told me I need to leave the country within the next 30 days. And the U.S. Embassy has suspended visa operations and will not issue my wife a visa. So husband, wife, and 10-month-old child are facing an indefinite separation. Similarly, all of us over the past three months and certainly over the past three weeks have said you need a word of encouragement. You've said you are weary and we all recognize there is a heaviness in our community. This text reminds us of the importance to encourage one another daily. That means every single day. This text will tell us why to do it, how to do it, and when to do it. So let's start with the why. Encourage one another every day because of the deceitfulness of sin. You see, this passage, I'll read again, verses uh, 12 and 13, warn us of the deceitfulness of sin as a way to remind us how important it is to encourage each other every day. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day 
as long as it is is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. This text takes us back to the wilderness generation and it warns us of the spiritual dangers we face. A few weeks ago, we studied this passage together from Exodus 17. The people complained against God for leading them into the wilderness and not providing water, not providing food for them. The place was named Testing and Quarreling. Now we read the place names as Masa and Meribah, but they're just transliterations of their Hebrew words for testing and quarreling. And that became symbolic of that generation and it reached its culmination in Numbers 14 when the people of God were about to enter the promised land. They're on the Jordan. They've sent the 12 spies. They come back and the 12 spies talk about the dangers of the land. The land is beautiful. It's gorgeous, full of abundant produce, but there are giants in the land. And rather than listen to the two, Joshua and Caleb, who said, the Lord is with us. The Lord will lead us into the land. They listened to the 10 and did not respond to God's promise to be with them and his promise to save them. So the psalmist, and then our writer in Hebrews picks up this warning, the warning not to be like the generation that, of the wilderness that rejected the voice of God. But do note that this is a warning. It's a warning of unbelief. But notice who the warning is to. The first generation in the wilderness. This is the generation that saw Moses stand before Pharaoh. This is the generation that saw the plagues against the gods of Egypt. This is the generation that saw with their own eyes the parting of the Red Sea. This is the generation that saw the salvation of the Hebrews. God's people can see the works and hear the words of God and choose not to trust them. The concerns for life, food and water, fear of destruction from external enemies cause them to shrink back and not respond with trust and faith and belief that God would deliver on his promises. We are every day tempted to succumb to an evil and unbelieving heart. The evil heart of unbelief alluded to in our passage is called the evil impulse in Judaism in original sin and our own reform thought. We tend to think of unbelief as atheism, believing that God does not exist. Whereas in this case, it's important to notice who we're talking about. It's not the people who don't know about God. It's the people who believe in God and are choosing not to trust. They're choosing not to step out in faith, but instead to shrink back. That is who is spoken of as acting in unbelief. It's not the Egyptians, not the Philistines, not the Greeks who are accused of unbelief, but the believing people of God. You see, there exists in the heart of human beings, of believers, what we call indwelling sin. It's not merely immoral behavior, it is that too, but the Adamic drive to self-determination. Out of pride or fear, 
I will decide what is true wisdom. I will decide what I'm gonna do. And I may choose to disregard God's explicit command or his warnings because I'm gonna choose to do my own thing. That lives in every one of us believers. That lives in every one of us church people, that evil heart of unbelief. So we need encouragement from the body of Christ every single day. We can't just decide, I'm gonna believe today and I'm gonna believe every day and gonna be strong enough to do it by myself. We need each other. We need others to encourage us in the faith. This word parakaleo, come alongside, is translated in some English versions as encourage and in other English versions as exhort. An encouragement, it's a, a deep encouragement. An encouragement to believe and trust in God to encourage them to the life of faith. It's not a superficial, naive optimism that everything will be fine, like the string quartet playing on the deck of the Titanic as it was sinking. It's not just, let's just be happy. It's words of encouragement to trust and believe and obey the words of God. Or in exhortation, it's that loving kind of exhortation that summons people to exercise faith and trust in God. The dangers of our own heart, the dangers of the pressure we experience in a society where unbelief is rampant are too great for us. We need each other. I need you. You need each other to encourage each other to live by faith every day. Not once a week, not once a month, every day. You need this, even if your love language is not words of encouragement. We all need it. And we need you. Yes, you. We need you to speak those words to us. We can't do this without you. We can't do this without each other working together. We were not designed to do this by ourselves. As you've heard and hopefully are excited about, we'll be meeting together next week. And when we gather together in the sanctuary, we'll require everyone who enters the sanctuary to wear a mask. That's out of love and respect to everyone in our congregation and really everyone in our city. That's the motive behind it. But I'd like to say a word about where the masks came from. The masks that we'll have to give out if you don't have your own mask came from our ministry partners in China. The actual first example I gave, the man who's been persecuted for years by the government, whose colleague is in jail for nine years, he sent us masks from his church. Now you may have opinions about international relations, about how the US and China get along or don't get along, but these didn't come from the government of China. They came from a church that understands this principle that we can't do this by ourselves. In the past, we've helped them by help, helping provide training for their pastors. Some of you may have visited and done different projects with our ministry partners. We've provided help with book publications that have been done in that part of the world. And they saw we were in need. And I got a text in the middle of March saying, we'd love to help out, what's your address? We're gonna send you 3,000 masks. 
They wanted to encourage us so that we would know that we're not alone. Now, let me just speak the truth as a Westerner. What was my first response? My first internal response, the ones you don't say out loud. I began to formulate the letter that would say, thank you so much for your kind offer, but we don't need it. Why is that? Because my heart wants to say, I can do this by myself. I don't want to acknowledge that actually we do have a need. You're finishing your crisis. We're starting ours and we have no idea what's actually going to happen. Thank you for your encouragement. You see, we want to project this image that we're self-sufficient and we don't need the encouragement of other people. I'm so glad my brother didn't, wasn't fooled by the image we project. He knows the truth that we're not designed to do this alone. We need each other. So what would it look like for you to signal to the rest of the body of Christ that you were dependent upon others for your very faith? What if instead of managing the image we try to project, of which I am very guilty, I got it together, I can do this by myself, a little trivial help is nice, but I really don't need that much help. If we, instead of projecting that image, which takes a lot of energy to hide our weaknesses, to hide our failures, to hide the things we don't want other people to see, if we quit trying to hide that and started thinking about how to encourage others, it might signal to others that we need help and their gifts, which they're afraid to use, might be used and we might be healthier as a body. So let's think about how we can encourage each other every single day. Because we're daily, daily, sometimes hourly told not to trust that God is at work in our world. Real power, real solutions will come from somewhere else. What will really make a difference is when we, and here I mean humanity, that we can come up with our own solutions. Fear often drives us to respond in ways that squelch our faith. Can we encourage each other to step out in faith rather than say nothing or worse, say words that discourage people? I'm afraid to even think about what would happen if we were to put on two scales the words I say and not my intentions, but the actual effect, which things give courage particularly courage to live by faith, in which things actually discourage, cause people to give in to despair, to give up, to not want to go farther. I'd be afraid to put those in the balance. To think today about how you can invest your words in encouraging and giving courage to others. I would encourage you to set a goal. Pick some biblical numbers, three, seven, 12, and set a goal for each day, that's how many encouraging words I'm going to say. And I don't mean a seven-word sentence. I mean seven different times, seven different events where you're saying something. It doesn't have to be dramatic. That's encouraging somebody. Encouraging somebody to live by faith, to trust in God, to believe in his promises, to believe that what he said is going to happen will happen. It may take a while, but let's build up to that, to how we can say words that are encouraging. Because brothers and sisters... I need it. We all need it. So how can we encourage each other? How can we give each other the courage to move forward? 
But let's start by remembering who could use some encouragement? Who could use some rest today? Three months of quarantine, sheltering in place, minute by minute updates of all the latest data and the best health strategies that then sometimes change or evolve, fear of economic collapse in our country, in our world. And then a horrifying video that has traumatized our nation, causing us to ask, have we made any progress in the last 50 years? An important part of our population is asking themselves the question, can I go jogging? Are my children gonna be judged because of the color of their skin? They're tempted to give in to despair, nothing will change. And many are deeply concerned that progress has been too slow. And many of us are wondering, maybe I'm a bigger part of the problem than I realized. All of us for different reasons have grown weary, have grown discouraged. We're not sure if we can handle it. We need rest for our souls. So this passage offers us that very rest. But let me warn you, it's a little complicated. We'll have to think it through because what is the promise of rest in our passage? Look at chapter four, verse one. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. So what is rest in this passage? What is the rest that he's talking about? Well, first let's think of the wilderness generation alluded to in Psalm 95. For the wilderness generation, they were looking forward to the physical entrance into the land. The promised land was their rest. And so rest is an image of crossing the Jordan River and receiving the things God had promised. But it came with the warning, be careful lest you not enter. And that warning is very literal because the people in David's time knew that that first generation, none of them save the two, Joshua and Caleb, entered the land. So there's a promise of rest, but a warning about not achieving that rest. Even the second generation, they longed for it while they were in the wilderness. They were looking forward to entering the land. But verse eight of chapter four tells us they didn't fully receive the rest. They entered the land, but didn't receive the fullness of the rest. So I think in Psalm 95, the rest is the longing for the end of the journey. When the trial, the testing and the deprivation of the wilderness will be over and we're securely with God on the other side. But there's also a sense in which that rest is based on the rest of God in Genesis 2 verse 2. How did God rest after the six days of creation on the seventh day? Well, why did he rest? He didn't rest because he was tired. That's an image given to us because we're tired physically, emotionally, maybe spiritually after six days. We need that kind of rest. God wasn't tired. He had completed his work and his rest is an enjoyment, a reflection upon the good things he had created. That's a picture of worship. That's the rest of our Sabbath day that we reflect upon and are renewed by the goodness and the mission and the purpose of God which are accomplished. 
God is at rest and he invites us to join in his rest and his contemplation of the good things he has accomplished. So the metaphorical meaning of rest in Psalm 95 is unbroken fellowship with God, that we would be in such communion, communion with God that we would rest in him. So that's the same meaning we'd see in Hebrews 4, that unbroken fellowship with God through Christ. The author of Hebrews is writing after the cross. So just as God finished his work in creation, so God the Son, having finished his work in redemption, invites us to enter into that rest of unbroken fellowship with God. It's available to us because of Jesus' completed work. Jesus substituted his life, his righteous life for ours on the cross, which allowed him to completely pay for our sins. So we were united to him in his death and we were united to him in his resurrection, which vindicated his claims that he was coming to pay for our sins and demonstrated the fact of a completed work of reconciliation through his resurrection and ascension. The kingdom of God had indeed drawn near. So those are the ways we can look at the concept of rest. And the other nuance that's a little complex is that rest is not entirely future. If you look at verse, chapter four, verse three, it says we enter into that rest. Same thing in chapter four, verse 10. For whoever has entered God's rest. So there's both a sense in which that rest is eternal, meaning after we enter God's presence after our death, but there's a sense in which it's already present, that we currently experience that completed work. It's already begun to work in us and we experience that salvation, that deliverance of God's rest in the present. Trusting in God's Trusting in God in the present leads to that rest, not only later, but even now. So we're like the wilderness generation, which reminds me of a, a hike I took our Young Life team on in Central Asia some many years ago. It was a five-day hike that became a seven-day hike. We're crossing two mountain passes. Many things had gone wrong, which I won't tell you at this point, but we're crossing the second pass and we've come up from the river, gone up a valley, crossed the glacier, taken a left to go up the, the valley to the high mountain pass, the snow-covered pass to descend into the valley on the other side. And we get to the top and it's the wrong pass. We've turned too early. We now have to descend back down the valley to the glacier, go up another mile and go up the next valley, which is the correct one. You can see the discouragement on the look of all the hikers. They don't know if they have the energy to go on. We're already a day late. This will make us two. Uh, we're already too tired to go on. So what do we, the leaders, what do we do? We describe the goal of the hike. Lake Issacool, the fourth largest mountain lake in the world, was a destination on the other side of the second pass. A beautiful mountain lake with a, a very nice little hotel complex where we're gonna stay that had great, hot, fresh cooked food, nothing out of the cans that we've been carrying for six days. A beautiful lake to go swimming in, cool, refreshing waters, a beach to lay out on. 
we describe that reality of the end of the hike to the people in the wilderness or the pass to encourage them to press on. And what happened is we started that very discouraging backtrack, going back down the hill we just climbed up. Some of the hikers started singing with each other. Some of the hikers who had a little more energy took some of the weight out of the backpacks of the hikers that were struggling. They worked together to get back down, to then recross the glacier, get back up again, and to continue on to the lake. How do you encourage each other? You describe a picture of the completed work of God. You describe a picture of what is God has promised, what he's declared to be so, what truth is awaiting us in the future. And that truth invades the present and begins to bear upon how we live in the present. Can you share your dream, your vision of what God is doing in your life, in our church, in our city, in our world? You know the dream speech by MLK. He had a dream where children in our nation would not be judged by the color of their skin, but on the content of their character. Can we describe the vision of God, of people living together based on their union with Christ, not on their social or or racial or economic commonalities, but on the commonality of being redeemed by Jesus? Can we describe the kind of people God is making us into? Being aware of our own evil unbelief in our hearts. We have to recognize the danger. The first generation didn't enter. Everyone is growing weary. Everyone is frustrated at being at the wrong pass. Many have forgotten the promise. They forgot what the mountain lake looks like. Some are just too tired to look up. They're not sure if they can go on any farther. They, we need you to encourage us to live by faith. We need encouragement to understand why we should trust God, where we're going. We need encouragement to take one more step. How many steps do you think it was from Egypt to the Jordan River? It's a lot, it's a lot of steps. Can you encourage each other to take that one next step to keep pressing forward towards the promise of the rest God has given us? Can you paint that picture? Again, the true picture, not just human optimism, but the true picture of who God is and where he's leading us. Paint that picture so your friends can see it and encourage them with it every day. So we know why we should encourage each other because we're all gonna be tempted to disbelief. We know how to encourage each other. We describe the mountain lake, describe Aslan's country where we're headed. And so now, when should we do that? Encourage each other to live by faith today. There's only one moment when you can trust God and obey him, and it's now. Consider the ironic use of the word today at the beginning of this passage. He's quoting Psalm 95, who is referring to the wilderness generation, as that's there today, in the era of Moses. But it's told by David, in the era, obviously, of David, quoted in Hebrews in the New Testament era, the era of Jesus' earthly ministry, 
And yet we read it today on June 14th, 2020. What is today? Today is the day you hear the voice of God. It's the day you hear the word of God, which for those of us in the English speaking world, we have access. It's the day in which we have access to hear the words of God, the instruction, the teaching, the vision of God. Existentially, it's the only moment in which we can act. We can't change the past. We can't even touch the future. We can only act now. That's the today of Hebrews 3 and 4. Today is the existential now when we hear God's voice and can respond. So today we must, as we hear God's voice, respond with trust and obedience. You see in verse two of chapter four, we're warned again. For good news came to us, just as to them, but the message they heard, the first generation in the wilderness, did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. The good news Gospel in the Greek translation of the Old Testament. The gospel was heard by the wilderness generation. The gospel was heard by the generation of Hebrews in the epistles of the Hebrews. But it was of no benefit to them. Why? Because they do not respond by faith. Now there's a little textual complexity in this verse. Different English translations translated differently. But the core is the same. In our ESV, the translation is that they were not, were not united by faith with those who responded. Joshua and Caleb, they heard the word of God. They knew God's instructions and they said, yes, let's trust God in these very difficult circumstances. We need to unite our hearts with those who respond by faith. We need to be those kind of people who respond by faith. If not, the word of God, the gospel is of no benefit to us. The word of God is living and active. It's the next verse that follows our text. It's a work today. God is speaking. The question is, are we listening? We have the word. We hear it now. We must respond by faith. Today's the only day we have. Today, we live in the wilderness. We're faced with fear, with temptation, with frustration, even tempted to hate. Do not harden your heart when you hear God's voice. Do not attempt to accomplish God's plans by human means. Unite your heart to God and his word. Trust what he has promised. Please know this is not a call to passivity. The first generation, (laughs) their obedience was very active. They were to cross the Jordan River and take the land. But notice how they took the land, second generation by trusting God to deliver them, not by human engineering. In the quarantine era, the the most isolated uh, shelter, uh, safer at home days, we had a saying, there's only three days, yesterday, today, and tomorrow. I mean, there's March 23rd, there's April 4th, there's Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And we all had this experience of, does that have any meaning? They're kind of all the same. And so we had this saying, there's only three days, yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And some of us still kind of feel that way. (laughs) But the truth is there's only one day, today. 
how can you respond by faith today? And it's not even today, it's now. Encourage one another. None of us can make all these choices by ourselves. Acknowledge your fears to each other. Acknowledge the things you struggle with so they'll know how to encourage you specifically in a personal way that helps you. They'll know how to encourage you to follow the Lord and trust him. Consider ahead of time, we'll read later on in Hebrews chapter 10, how you can encourage each other. Don't be shy. Use your gift to encourage each other every day. Encourage each other every day because today is the only day you'll ever have. We only have one today. Tomorrow it's gone. Technically, tomorrow, today becomes yesterday. Encourage each other every day, as long as it is called today. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we need words of encouragement. And so I pray by your Holy Spirit that you would speak through this body, that you would speak through all who have heard from you, your voice, words of encouragement to others. Lord, we're weary, we're discouraged. We've seen things that are deeply troubling. Lord, would you give us a vision of where you're leading us, of the kind of country, the kind of city, the kind of people you've created us to be. Help us not be weary in doing good, but help us to take one more step, step by step, focused on the rest that we know awaits us in the future, but already has begun today. I pray that you would help us each to live by faith today and to encourage one another daily as long as it is called today. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.